Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Welcome, everybody, to another episode of Pod Strickland. I'm your host, Shwini Poo, in this episode 165. I'm joined today by a special guest. You know him online as Ariel Pacheco. Uh, Ariel, how are you doing? I'm doing good, man. Glad to be back. It's been a while. Yeah, it has been a little while. Um, I guess it's good that we're coming off a win. Uh, the Knicks did beat the living shit out of the... Sacramento Kings tonight, uh, in a game that really, look, I, if the Kings had, if they were a functional team, that could have become a game in the third quarter, end of the second, end of the third, yeah. uh, start of the third quarter, but um, they're not. They're terrible, and um, the Knicks just cruised. Um, it was, yeah, it was, it, was, uh, it was a pretty easy win for the Knicks. Um, a lot of nice, feel-good stuff happened. Uh, but before we dive into that, and obviously also the Milwaukee game, uh, I do need to mention a couple of things. First being that the Strickland has a Discord. Uh, you can subscribe to it. There's many tiers. I'd recommend at least getting the $6 tier. That gets you access to Pod Strickland on Friday, as well as the Strickland Discord, where we talk about the Knicks all the time. You also get access to the Strickland mailbag that I do every other week with Jeremy and Drew. Uh, also, there is a $9 tier, which gets you access to weekly articles by Jack Huntley and Matthew Miranda, two of the best Knicks writers in the business, two of the best basketball writers in the business. Uh, whatever, however you want to put it, they're great. Uh, you also get access to a podcast that I do, a solo pod, Strick and Roll. Um, if that is of interest to you, that could you want to listen to me yell about the next form? Uh, there are further tiers. There's a fifty dollars tier, thirty dollars tier, fifty dollars tier, and a hundred dollars tier. Those get you access to additional benefits like merchandise discounts, um, sitting in on podcast recordings, even potentially hosting a pod alongside me and any of my co-hosts. Uh, but whether you subscribe or not, your support is appreciated. None of this would be possible without you. So, without further ado. Uh, we are going to talk about the Knicks. Uh, look, I, I guess, uh, I don't, I don't know where to go with this. Uh, I guess, like, let's just start with this. Julius Randle played a really good game today. Uh, yep. I, I, I would say he played a solid, I'll say, I'll say he played a solid game today. Didn't force stuff. Um, he seemed to be engaged throughout. I thought defensively in particular, uh, he was engaged in a way that he has not been too often this year. Um, granted, it was the Kings, but you know, maybe even in some ways, that makes it even more impressive that he was engaged because we've seen him all too often in games like this just completely check out. Um, I mean, it makes a huge difference. Like, I mean, I think we were just talking about this, but like, considering the starting group, we'll, we'll talk. We'll talk about this in a little bit. But considering they were basically playing four on five, um, I mean. That's the difference. Like you can get away with that when Julius is playing like this. He didn't even play like a great game today. He just did 
exactly what you want him to do, where he wasn't forcing the action. He's playing within himself. And, um, you know, uh, and then defensively, he was solid. So I guess just like what, I mean, we've all had many thoughts on Julius, but um, I mean, I guess what did you think of his performance today? It kind of felt like somewhere in like the middle ground between like his play last year, this year, probably more so towards the lower end though. Um, he kind of just he didn't hurt you, even if he wasn't like spectacular. But you know, he he still I think he just played within himself, didn't force things. Um, uh, he still took a couple of like questionable shots. Um, the the biggest concern with me with Julius this season is kind of like he just hasn't really seen the floor well. Like yeah, he's racking up assists and stuff like that. But just like there are a lot of reasons that he's just not making like. There was one play in particular where he, like, spun in into the paint, and he had RJ open in, I think it was RJ or Burks, he had one of them open in the corner, and he just didn't see it, even though he looked in that direction and then kicked it out to, like, Fournier, who had a man on him. It's just, like, those little plays that he was making last year, they're just not there this year. Um, So that's, like, the more concerning thing. The shooting is obviously, like, frustrating because, you know, he's a high-usage guy, but I do think, like, an easier shot diet, you know, like less, you know, contested mid-range jumpers, you know, things like that would help him. But overall, I mean, you, you got to be kind of encouraged by his play today, um, especially you mentioned the defense, too. Yeah, I mean, that that was the thing that because, you know, the shooting and all that kind of stuff, I can I can live with that to an extent. Um, like I can deal with him not having good. Look, I'll put it this way. Um, I have basically defended quickly all year um you know he's not shot the ball very well this year from three he's fallen off quite a bit um and i just don't care because i still think that even when he's not hitting shots he's giving you value in doing things um aside from scoring and i think that it's it's it should not be dismissed um especially on this team where there aren't a ton of guys necessarily that that can have that can play well without without shooting well or scoring well, and I thought what Julius brought to the table last year, yeah, obviously the scoring and the shooting was great, but I thought there were so many games last year where he didn't necessarily shoot the ball very well or score efficiently, mm-hmm. and he was still a plus player. And um, I mean, I remember, I remember very specifically. I don't remember. It was the second time we played Indiana in the season. Um, we played them twice very early on in the season. Uh, second, and it was the second time in a row we played them in Indiana, and he didn't have a particularly good scoring game, um, but he just he was a nightmare for Sabonis. He just locked up Sabonis. He was engaged defensively. He, they, you know, he switched out on multiple times on the perimeter. He was just a monster in that game, even though he didn't score well. And I could not tell you a single game this season where I thought he played like a fucking monster even though he didn't shoot well. I couldn't tell you. Um, and I think that's the biggest difference. And like today, I mean, yeah, he was 7 of 14 from the field, 17 points. It wasn't like a great shooting performance. It wasn't a great performance, but it was great to see him play well without being a high usage guy, without controlling offensive possession so much, without, um, you know, forcing action. And I thought one thing I thought that, that stood out, um, and I think Tom Piccolo tweeted about this during the game, uh, I thought the Knicks did a good job of actually using him on the short roll. Um, yeah, they did that a lot, and they've—that's a big. I mean, that's not something they've done much of this year. I don't know if that was just something for just the Kings for whatever reason, because I don't think you need to, you know, 
I don't think you need to bring out anything special to score on the Kings, but um, I mean, I thought I thought that really stood out as something that uh, that they got a lot out of. In particular, um, you know, the minutes that he played with Burks uh, at point guard, I thought they did a lot better job of that. Yeah, I think I think they took advantage of the fact like the Kings were playing like they were trying to be aggressive defensively and like blitzing the pick and roll, especially once like Fournier got hot like really early. And I think they took advantage by using, like, Julius as, like, the outlet. And I think we saw a lot of, like, short rolls, like you mentioned, like the bounce passes. And I think that's part of why he shot well today is because, like, he just took easier shots. And he also had a couple of, like, you know, like, not garbage buckets, but, you know, cleaning up on the offensive rebound, like, things like that. Um, and that's kind of what I'm want, I've am i wanted to see from Julius is just take easier shots, especially when you don't have it going. And then I think it was the third quarter where he hit, like, a couple of mid-range jumpers, and it was, like, you see, like, he got in the flow of the game first before he really, like, started going to those tough jumpers. He still took, like, there was one play in particular where it was, like, on a, on a in transition, and he had, like, an early post, and I think RJ dumped it into him. And he just immediately just, like, went for, like, a turnaround fadeaway over his shoulder. Like, those are the shots that, like, he has to kind of go away from. But overall, with using him in the short role, I've been advocating for that. Even last year, I was advocating for more of it. Um, So, yeah, I'm with you on that. Yeah, I, um, you know, I just, you want to see him used in different ways, especially when he's in a shooting slump like this. So, um, because like that, I mean, I, I don't know. I, I don't know. Are you a football guy? You watch football? Kind of. I'm a casual. Yeah. Yeah. Like, uh, I, I don't know. I, I don't know if you guys, if you watched the games yesterday at all. Um, but like Debo Samuel on, on the 49ers. Yeah, he's a good receiver, but like they use him in so many different ways because they just, because he can, because he can line up in the backfield. He can catch, he can take jet sweeps. He can, like, they use him in all kinds of ways, and they really take mm-hmm. advantage of his versatility. And I think, like, a guy like Julius, um, look, the shooting struggles suck. And and let, let's be real here. It's not just the shooting struggles. It's his, uh, so much of his decision-making, um, the defense, all of that. It, it has not been good. So I'm not trying to, like, you know, this is not just about, Tibbs using him poorly or something like he he's got to own his own he's got to own his struggles this year that that, that so much of that like ninety percent of it is on him yeah. but uh, I think that being said like there are ways to use him that are like the guy was a like a four or five for most of his career until he got to New York and in New York basically he's exclusively played the four um, but he's also played the four a lot like a big wing he hasn't played it like a a true four. Like you watch Sabonis play and you watch Randall play and very different, very, very different the way they play. But I think if you, if you take some of those, some of the type of plays that get run for Sabonis to utilize his skill set, I think Julius could benefit from that a lot. Um, because I think it puts the, the, the creation burden, uh, it, puts him in a more favorable situation and it it also can get him going downhill um or just being used more as a screener to set other guys up and i know they've done that more they've done more dribble handoff stuff this year than they did last season with julius i think um but it just hasn't felt fluid at all and even today like like we're gonna be real like i didn't feel like the starters were particularly impressive um i still don't think they play with the great flow or mm-hmm. fluency. Yeah, cohesion. That's a good word to use. Um, 
look, but but Fournier was hot, so that that won them the first quarter, and they basically just held serve after that. Um, but like, I mean, even then, I yeah, I didn't. It it all felt very choppy. Um, it felt like what it, it didn't even feel like they were taking turns. It just felt like at various points, like RJ would score two buckets in a row, or Julius would, or Fournier would, and it's like they just did enough to get by. Or like Mitch would get two offensive rebounds or something. They did enough to get by, but I did not think they played cohesively together. Whereas with the bench, and I know Alec, you know, he was, he finally bust out of the slump he's been in, but like, Mm -hmm. I I just think they just, they always just look more together. Like, I mean, even in the Milwaukee game, I know that all the plus minus stuff was much more in favor of the starters in that game, but like, I don't know, just watching it even, I thought it still felt that way. And then, like, you know, the numbers over the course of the season bear it out. So it's not like some optical illusion. Like, this is real. So um, I don't want it to be, like, too down or anything like that. But, you know, even within Julius playing well and Fournier scoring really well and all this stuff, like, it still does not feel very cohesive. I I agree with you. I just think the differences between like tonight and the other games is just that you know Fournier got hot. You know, as you mentioned, guys just made shots today, and I feel like things always look a lot smoother when guys make shots. And I think if I think Fournier started six of six, if he starts off like two for six instead, I think it's a much different like game. And I think you start to feel that like stagnation and that like that that like feeling of like dread watching the games like how they have been in the past with the starters and um. And I think we started to see some of that in the third quarter, like you mentioned in the beginning, when you said that, like, if the Kings were a competent team, they would have been able to make a game of it. Um, it it kind of got ugly again, and, and the offense bogged down again. It just, the starting five just feels like it, it's always, it's, like, been missing, like, I don't know, like, like some juice. Like, it's been slow. The pace has been slow. Um, that's been talked about a lot. And I think that's the biggest difference between the bench and the starters is, regardless of, if Rose has been healthy or not, quickly and Obi, they always come out with this like frenetic pace that just kind of like energizes everyone, and they generate easy buckets even though they don't necessarily have like any guy you would call like an even above average creator on the bench. Um, quickly can do it in spurts, you know, he, he does it at times, but sometimes you can see that like it, it can be a little too much for him. Burks, he struggled of late, and he's spending a lot more of his minutes with the starters now. It just feels like. The bench has been able to kind of manufacture buckets, just kind of with energy, if that makes any sense. No, no, no. I, 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 100%. I mean, you see that like energy manifests in which ways when you think about basketball, when you're like, what are energy plays like defensively, right? Like getting out, mm-hmm. like getting in, getting in the passing lanes. Not that, not that the bench is particularly great at generating turnovers, but they're notably, uh, better than, than the starters for sure. Sure. And, and and then the other thing is they're also just like, I mean, they just, the thing is they don't even get up the floor that fast, right? Like, but it's just like, it's, it's a difference between getting into your offense with some type of like understanding of what you're like, they, they actually come across as the more veteran unit the way they play, the way they like are able to get into offensive sets with some type yeah. of purpose and understanding of what they're supposed to do. And that is the weirdest thing for me because, um, and look, we can't, we, we have to talk about it because he did play tonight. Uh, if even though it might not have seemed that way. Uh, I mean, look, I, I don't, 
I really hate doing it because it just feels like I have a fucking vendetta. But like, I just again, Kemba Walker had another game. He didn't score tonight. It's the first time he hasn't scored in a game since 2012. Um, if you look at it, that was his rookie year in the NBA, I believe. Um, I don't know. I don't even know what to say at a certain point because, like, I mean, what? I don't love the Point Burks thing, but I like Point Burks and IQ just taking the point guard minutes a lot more than I like having Kemba there. And, like, I don't know. I I just like that whole thing a lot better, especially because it also, you're going to get Reddish into the rotation then. And I don't know if Reddish is good or not, but, like, when you see him on the court with those bench guys, you can, like, I I see the vision. You know, like, I see it. I'm like, okay. You see Grimes and you see him next to each other and you see that in the wing and you're like, okay, like I, I get what the appeal is here. Uh, and I would just like to see more of that. So, um, you know, uh, I don't know what, <laughs> I don't know what you thought of Kemba tonight. Well, I do actually know what you thought of Kemba tonight, but I, <laughs> the people need to know what you thought of Kemba tonight. So, um, yeah. Yeah, man. Kemba hasn't been good for, for a while. Um, I, I don't know. I think it kind of dates back to, like, the 44-point game when he went crazy. I think that was, like, very fool's gold. Like, I think he he was hot and he had a good night or whatever. And I think that kind of – it kind of took the pressure. Like, it, may, it put pressure on Tibbs to, like, have to play him at that point because it's like, look, this guy can score 44 and you're sitting him. And I think there was just a lot of, like, you know, a lot of, like, yeah, just pressure to, to give Kemba minutes. And now I think we're kind of seeing what we saw in, like, early November – where it's just like the starting lineup clearly just does not work well together. And I think part of it is play call, and I do think part of it is Kemba. But like even today, Kemba just, like, he's not initiating anything. He's just passing it off and then sitting in the corner, which I, which you can have anybody do that. And if you're going to have him just spot up in the corner, you might as well put a better defender out there, um, especially, you know, the Knicks like to switch, especially when Burks is out there. They like to switch one through four, one through three, depending on the matchup. You can't do that with Burks. and I think it also puts your defense in a position where Fournier goes from being like your second best defender out there alongside RJ because Randall usually not isn't on the perimeter anymore. But it goes from a position where Fournier is your, is your second best to like now he's your third and like you just kind of move the ranks down. And I, I just think overall like the fit with Kemba has just been about as bad as you anyone could have expected. Um, the numbers back it up. The eye test backs it up. It's just it's concerning. I don't think he's washed, though. A lot of people have been, like, adding me in my mention saying he's washed. I don't think he's washed. I, th- I still think, like, on a contending team that has no, like, bench scorer that, that just needs someone to just be aggressive and look for a shot, I think he can still get to his pull-up kind of when he wants, especially off the three-point line if he gets, like, a higher screen. But for this team, this year, he's just it, – it doesn't it doesn't make any sense right now. Yeah. No, no. I, I completely agree with you. Um, but – before we continue, uh, Ariel, do you know what's happening in two weeks? Uh, no, it's Super Bowl. Yes, it's the moment we've all been waiting for since September. It's finally here. In honor of the big game, DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of Super Bowl 56, is giving new customers 56 to 1 odds on either team. Bet just $5 and get 200 80 in free bets if your team wins. DraftKings Sportsbook is now live in New York, meaning you can bet from almost a third of the country. If Sportsbook isn't in your state, 
Play DraftKings Daily Fantasy Football Contest for Super Bowl 56. New customers can get a free shot at a $1 million top prize for their first deposit. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app, use promo code TBPN, and get 56 to 1 odds on either team. Bet just $5 and get 280 in free bets if your team wins. That's promo code TBPN at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of Super Bowl 56. 21 plus minimum age and location requirements vary by jurisdiction. See DraftKings.com slash sportsbook for a full list of requirements and state-specific responsible gaming resources. Void where prohibited. If you have a gambling problem, call 1-800-GAMBLER. In Tennessee, call or text the TN Red Line 1-800-889-9789. In Connecticut, call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org slash chat. In New York, call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369. But now that we've uh, established that the the Super Bowl is happening in two weeks, and that you can gamble on it in the state of New York. Uh, yeah, no, I want to go back to this Kemba conversation, but before we do that, I need to introduce my co-host, Stacy. that's at StacyPan89, who has just joined us uh, just now. Stacy, how are you? Pretty good. Yeah, just uh, just had what, um, what Julius Randle used to call John Collins, which is some Georgian food, um, but... Um, Doing uh pretty good. Happy, happy with the win. Yeah. Also happy good. to be with uh no doubt the calmest person on NBA Twitter, Ariel. I don't think we've been on a pod before, so excited to do that. Uh so the calmest person on, N- on Nick's Twitter <laughs> and also Schwinn. Uh not that. So uh this is uh very excited to be here. I'm finally I'm finally happy to hop on a pod with you. Long overdue. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Um yeah, so I, I guess like the, the Kemba thing was really, it was, I, I don't even, like, I didn't even know what, I don't know what to say about it anymore, because it's just bad. Like, I, I, I guess, like, here's my question for you, Ariel, uh, and you can answer this how, how you think, obviously, but, mm-hmm. like, do you think this Kemba running to the corner, and is that just a coaching choice, or is that, like, because to me, I don't, I actually think Tibbs has been less, uh, I don't think he's been calling out set plays as much this year as he did last year. Uh, and I definitely don't think he does it as much with the starters as he does when IQ is running point, for example. So, I mean, what do you, like, do you agree, disagree? Or, I mean, do you just think that he's just, this is like what he is now? Or what's, what's going on here? In my opinion, I do, I do think it is more coaching to an extent because I think in the beginning of the year, we we didn't really see that. And I think after his benching, I, I think there was kind of a shift in like kind of Fournier and Kemba's hierarchy in the offense, if this makes sense. Like, I, I think Fournier was the guy in the beginning of the season that was kind of just like sitting in the corner and just being the spacing guy. And I think Kemba got benched. And I think when he got reinserted, I think we've seen Fournier more like active in the offense when he is out there with the starters. And then I think Kemba has been the guy that's kind of gone to the bench. And I think his kind of offensive responsibilities have been kind of dished off more to Julius, RJ, and Fournier. Is it is it zero sum? Do you think is that a Tibbs thing? Um, I mean, I, like on one extreme, you have like teams like the Warriors and Spurs, where like everyone touches the ball and everyone's involved. Um, 
is it always going to be zero sum where at some point someone is going to be deprioritized and sit in the corner or um, is that a tips thing or, you know, what, what are your thoughts on that? I think there's always going to be someone who kind of, you know, is left wanting a little bit more, but I do think there are ways you can like engage everyone. Like I think more off ball stuff, like a lot of times it's just like whatever's the initial action. If it's like a Fournier, Randall, dribble handle, there's almost never anything going on on the weak side. And I think, you know, it makes it harder to like be active and engaged when you're just kind of, when your role is to literally just sit there and just like provide spacing. Yeah, and going to be tough to shoot from a standstill as well, right? Especially for some of the young... I mean, that's actually one thing that's so impressive with impressive about Grimes, where like he can be completely flat-footed and still get his shot up in a second. But to your point, I think for most players, that's it's tough to get into a rhythm. With that. Especially when you're, when you're shorter like he is. Yeah. I mean, I also... I don't think he does a good job of making himself an option off the ball. Like, he just... I agree with that as well. Yeah. There's like a... There's like a art to yes you can be spacing in the corner but there's like within the corner there's like space for you to move side to side to to make yourself an option and if you watch him he just clears to the corner watch him watch him clear to the corner he just stands there i mean sometimes like look people clown on russ for this stuff all the time or when he stands off and he's like spacing to the uh you know spacing out He's just literally will bend over and put his hands on his like knees and kind of just chill. You can visibly see Kemba do that at times. Um, and like, I do think some of that is just frustration with his role and kind of like how he's being used. But if we're going to be honest about it, like he had three really good, he had like four good, really good games, right? In that middle random, like when he, when he got randomly re- reinserted into the rotation because of injuries and stuff. He balled out. He played great. Other than that, this year, he did not particularly have a number of games where you would say he like he gave Tibbs a reason to start calling plays for him and getting him going downhill and prioritizing him. And if you listen back to like some of the press conferences uh, that Tibbs gave early in the season when they would ask him about Kemba and Fournier, for that matter... He was always kind of like passively, aggressively suggesting that they play more aggressively, like like begging them to to shoot more and be more like hunt for their shot more, really. Um, and I think like he's probably just at a point where he doesn't think Kemba can be relied on to do that every night, and so he is ju- adjusted. And I think he this is what he thinks is the best thing to do. Which, again, I mean, this is, though, where I don't understand it. And, like, Ariel, you you kind of uh, voiced this. But it's like, well, if that's what you want your point guard to do, then why are you starting Kemba? You know, uh, it doesn't really make sense. And I don't know. I just hope that, for me, he's got to be the guy that, um, you know, I think he's got to be the guy that, that goes more than anybody. I, I think he's, like, it is critical he leaves because... So, so sir, what you were just saying, do you think he wanted the offense to be faster and it just doesn't fit him? Or do you think he is the one slowing them down? I don't think he's ever been a fast player. Like, if you look at the pace of his teams in Charlotte... So who was begging? Because you said someone is begging them to go faster. No, I think he's... No, I think he was begging them to just look to score more. Um, like, Tibbs. Like, he was... Like, you listen to his press conferences. There's so many times he's like, yeah, you know... 
I just want Kemba to be aggressive. Kemba's Kemba. I want him to be Kemba. Like Evan, I there was one time he specifically was like, yeah, I want Evan to shoot. Like that's what I want him to do. If he's open, I want him to shoot. And I mean, we all I, I remember early in the season that was like a thing that a lot of us had noticed was like Evan was pump faking and driving and like he's just not just like sometimes you just gotta shoot, you know, you, you can't be worried about trying to play make for others and fit in. And I'm just saying, like, I think both those guys dealt with that early in the season. Um, and I think Kemba, you know, that message got driven home to him when he was benched, effectively. And, um, you know, he came back in and he was great for those first four games. Obviously, we know that his body can't really sustain that. And, um, you know, like, I, I mean, I've seen really nothing from him recently to make me move off of my feeling that he just needs to go and he is not a good fit for this team. And I don't particularly care where he goes. Um, But yeah, I mean like tonight was, I mean, I don't know what to say when Kemba is getting worked by Davion Mitchell. Like I, I really don't know what to say to that. You know, that's a guy that he's a nice young player, I guess, you know, but, you're Kemba Walker. If Kemba Walker can't be Kemba Walker on a night like that against one of the worst defensive teams in basketball, I what I don't know what to say about that. Uh, and then uh, it's just shocking to me, kind of. Yeah, don't let Omar uh, Yusuf hear you slander Davion Mitchell. Um, <laughs> he will be riding out the rescue. Uh, Kemba, it is what it is. And yeah, to your point, um, I was actually pretty worried about Burks facing Davion Mitchell, but I've been as critical of Point Burks as anything, and I think tonight showed that. Yeah, like he, like he's still capable. He, he's you can trust him more than you can trust Kemba. Right? And Kemba got up two shots in sixteen minutes, um, one assist. Right? Um, mm-hmm. You know, say what you want about quickly, but he's doing a lot more there, uh, and that's without considering defense. The question for Kemba is the thing with Kemba and Burke, like Burks, there will be a market. It might be a second round pick, but there will be something. What are we getting for Kemba Walker at this point? Right? I mean, do you cut him? Like, how do you, like, if we cannot move these guys, what happens then? I don't think that's, I'll put it this way if they don't move any of these guys, they fucked up. And that's on them. There is no excuse. So even Kemba, you think somebody would give up a second or some? I, I, I don't give a shit if we have to. I don't give a shit if we have to give up a second to move him. Mm. I would give up a second to move Kemba. Like you have got to open up playing time for Reddish. You have got to get rid of these minutes every game of like. I mean, again, like to to Ariel's point, if if Fournier wasn't on fire to start that first quarter, like. I mean, look at the offense. It was not flowing particularly well, and Kemba didn't do anything. And, like, you know, you probably would have been in a dogfight all of a sudden at the end of the first quarter. Um, And, you know, he was hot, so it is what it is. But, like, you saw it. I mean, I I don't know about you guys, but at the end of the second quarter, start of the third quarter, I was like, oh, shit. We're about to do this stupid thing, aren't we? Um, And luckily, the Kings could not capitalize on our stupidity. But um, this happens just way too consistently and frequently, regardless of the quality of the opposition. So I just, I don't see it. Like what, and what is, what are you getting out of it? What benefit is there? Like he's not, he doesn't help you in the present really. 
And he's clearly not a bet for the future, I don't think. I would hope not. Maybe Tibbs might disagree. Um, but, like, I would much rather just... I, I was... I. I I don't love Point Burks. I think we should probably move Burks too if we can. Um, but I could live with the rest of the season if we would just be like, if the ten man rotation was Burks, RJ, Fournier, Randall, Mitch, and quickly Grimes, Reddish, Ob, uh, Noel. I could live with that. I'd be happy with that. It wouldn't be my ideal thing. I would like to get and like ride some more minutes and stuff like that. But like, I can live with that. I think it's completely unacceptable if we are sitting here after the deadline and Kemba Walker's still on the Knicks and there's no plans to buy him out. And there's no plans to, to bench him or sit him for the rest of the season. If there's no plan, if we're just going to ride out the status quo with this shit, that's a complete fucking waste of the organization's time. Forget my time, the organization's time. I mean... <laughs> This fucking guy played 17 minutes tonight. What did he do? It is, exactly. Uh, but, like, like, I mean, look at these minutes tonight. Okay? These are the minutes. Walk Kemba, 17. Fournier, 27. Burks, 26. Quickly, 16. Grimes, 23. Get rid of the Kemba minutes. I don't need the Kemba minutes at all. I don't need a single second of them. That's, that's 17 more minutes you have that can go in some capacity to Quickly and Grimes. And I feel very strongly that there's no shot in hell this team is materially worse for, for that adjustment. And if anything, you're probably going to end up being a better team. Uh, maybe in the short term, but definitely in the long term. That's always been like my argument when it came to like sitting Kumba, even even in the beginning of the season when, when it happened. It, it was never more so about just playing the kids, play the young kids, you're tanking, whatever. It's just more so that I genuinely believe that starting Emmanuel quickly would make the team a better basketball team. Um, it's less about just because he's young. I just think right now, uh, like the versions we're getting of both these guys, even with quickly struggling to his shots this year, like he, he's he's the he's been the better player. And I think you you fundamentally improve the team. Just the the balance of the roster, it's very imbalanced. I think moving on from Kemba is probably the best decision they can make in terms of like addition by subtraction, like without doing like a major trade or whatever. Yeah. Um... I uh, yeah. I just I just don't see why you wouldn't do it. Um, and like you know, I I just like what what is, there's no I don't even know what the argument is to keep Kemba. Is there an argument to keep Kemba? Like what we like because he's from the Bronx, like because he's from <laughs> New York City. Like I don't like what is the reason? Because just actually watching him play basketball, I couldn't tell you this year what he does well on an NBA floor anymore. Like, I guess shoot threes. I guess that's like the one thing he still does. I, think pretty this, okay. it, I mean, I think part of this conversation at least has to touch on the fact that the, the play-in at best is the best we can hope for. Um, this is not a team that is looking at the same level of, of competitiveness that it was at the beginning of the year because Kemba Walker still makes sense on a team like that because he can give you 40 in a night. Um, you just have to eat many, um, uh, you know, you have to meet, eat many more of these kind of games. But you would keep him as a depth piece or as a 12 to 16 minute guy and keep him in um, because there are going to be times where, you know, his composure, his experience is going to matter. Um, but the Knicks, it, the reality is the Knicks are no longer in that. I mean, 
I'll ask both of you, right? Like, do you think the play-in is even a worthwhile goal for the Knicks to strive towards at this point? Like, is that meaningful anymore? Um, what what does that entail? That entails them making up. Let's see. So they have the second or no, 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 no. I'm not asking that. I'm asking, what do you think is the best way for them to try to get a play-in spot? Uh, Kemba's playing like one out of every three or four games. That that is so for sure. Yeah. So then, I think all of but our I could see goals... keeping him around and reducing his role, like would make more sense as opposed to if you're not even going to make that, then I think he's just there's no reason to keep him around. In other words, in any case, I do think that him getting more minutes than quickly, McBride not getting any minutes at all right now is just um, it's yeah I, I agree with you on that. But I could see him. I could see why he would make sense in kind of the scenario I described. The thing with Kemba and even Fournier to an extent, like when he was struggling early on, is just that like, my problem with it was just that they never really, we've never seen how Kemba would play like outside of his minutes with Julius Randle. I, I tweeted the other day, I forgot the exact numbers, but basically Kemba has played like 90% of his minutes with Julius Randle on the court. This I think year. He, I think he had played, I, 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 I'll try and pull it up, but I'm pretty sure what you tweeted was that Fournier and Kemba had played 14 minutes together without Julius Randle. Sure. Yeah, and it's like I mean we, they had a very like brief I think it was like a minute or two against the Bucks um, where they played with Obi and and it looked cohesive it looked like like it was actually kind of a fun lineup for a second and it's probably too late and you know they're too close to the deadline to really explore what that would look like but that's just something that like would have been worth like while to check out in, in November when the team was struggling or, or in December the so thing with Kemba is that it, go ahead what what was specifically about Randall. Uh, is it just the pace, or like, is there something you have a hypothesis around why that might work better? Randall um, holds pace, the ball. Yeah, Randall, and pace I, is a part of it as well. Yeah, it's it's a little bit of both. Just Randall is not only does he hold the ball, but like this year, this version of Julius is just a bad basketball player, just in terms of his usage and efficiency. It's, he's just like honestly been a bad basketball player, and I think Kemba has also been like even in the beginning of the season when they were like five and one. Um, he was kind of very passive even then. Um, I, I think he kind of came into the team like didn't want to like step on any toes or whatever. And I just think that like if they would have given him some minutes with the bench or, or just with different lineups, he doesn't have to like, it's not even about um, benching him completely or, or whatever. I just think Tibbs has kind of um, been very hesitant to like stagger lineups. And we don't really know what like even Fournier looks like with the bench, um, which I think would be fun and interesting. But I just think that we, we've we only seen, like, one version of this team 50 games in. And, and I think that makes it very hard to, like, really judge, um, like, what, what these guys would look like in a different situation. I, and, I mean, the other thing, too, that we're forgetting is Rose is going to be back after the deadline. So, like, he's going to play. Yeah, he's going to play. He's going to play. Like, so you got to move two of these guys. And they've got to be the perimeter guys. And they should not be any of the young guys. They should not be quickly. They should not be fucking Grimes. Should not be fucking McBride. It should not be like and not that McBride's not in he's not in the fucking rotation anyway. He won't be in the rotation after this either. But um like I can't I, I there's just no world where I love I Kemba I don't care about. I can completely I have never been a I'm not a Yukon fan. I don't give a shit that he's from New York City. I mean it's cool, like as a Knicks fan, it's cool that he's from New York City, but like Inherently, I don't particularly give a shit. Um, 
Second, I just think that so then like you have Burks and you got Fournier, which one can you move? Um Burks is probably more likely, right? Uh that kind of sucks because I actually like Burks a lot more than I like Fournier. Not that I dislike Fournier um as much as others, but I I just think that Burks is a more useful player and I think he has better chemistry with a lot of players in this team, but you have to move one of those guys. I don't think I don't think you have an option. And if the front office can't get that done, then I mean I would say that that's pretty concerning, especially since they traded for Cam Reddish. Like, if they didn't trade for Reddish, then I would understand it to the extent of just like, okay, well, it's reasonable that maybe they didn't think Grimes would be so good right off the bat that he was going to be in the rotation. Um, And that's okay. But, like, they actively traded for Reddish. And Reddish has a year and a half left on his contract. Before you know, you have to make an R, R restrict free agent decision on him. And, uh, and most people believe you gotta, that you really need to take care of that this off season with an extension, right? So the more data points you have to figure out if that's the way you want to go, uh, would be a good yeah, thing, and, right? And 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 in general, like I again, like I'm not convinced on on Cam Reddish. I don't know. I mean, he hasn't been a good NBA player. Let's be honest; like he has not been a good NBA player to date. Um, he's given you flashes and I think we all know the tools and the upside that's there, but he has not been a good player to date. Um, but like when you just see him on the court, how he looks physically and kind of the way he moves and stuff, like I, I get it. I understand the appeal, but like that, so that's why you traded for him. So he has to fucking play so that you can figure it out and he can try to figure it out on the court and, you know, get him to that place where because you clearly they traded for him because somebody or multiple people in the organization believe in the type of talent he has right and unlocking that and blah 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 but like part of that is getting on the floor so if he doesn't get on the floor then what the fuck are we doing and why the fuck did we trade for him um and i i do think that they will make moves but like ultimately you know what i mean like they they have to do it it hasn't been done yet so what the fuck do I like? The pressure is still on them to make to make those moves. Um, what I will say though, too, is like there's been a lot of reports that there's a lot more buyers than sellers at the deadline. But like, in some ways, I think that's why buying early on Cam was a good move uh, because I think now you can sell to some extent from a position of strength. Um, because I don't think there are a lot of sellers. There's not a lot of teams actively looking to tank, right? And I think what the Knicks have going for them is they can remove guys in their rotation. Um, and especially when Rose gets back, you can argue that you're not going to be any any worse off, really, on, on aggregate. So, um, yeah, I just think like that's something that the front office, you know, they've been prudent and they've they've taken a lot of calculated risks so far, uh, you know, under Leon and, and stuff since they've been here. But I think this is like the first time that they really have some pressure to. I don't know how to put it, but I, I guess I, I think they have pressure to, to really like clean things up a little bit um, with, with all the talent they've accumulated. I mean, do you think it matters in terms of not tanking, but putting in perspective uh, you know, the goals for the season and, and maybe not, maybe kind of getting Tibbs to err on the side a little bit of playing more of the young guys, um, you know, even if they do manage to clear some space? Do you think that that's a conversation or something that needs to be had in terms of, yeah, you know, 
like we don't need to kill ourselves just for maybe the 10th seed. I mean, it was definitely like a worthwhile conversation to have because I mean, if even if you get the 10th seed, you still got to win what two um, winner take all games just to get in, and then to lose to who, what the Bucks or the or the Nets or whoever it is in the first round in a in a what most likely gentleman series gentleman sweep. So I, I think there's definitely like a conversation that should be had whether the 10th seed is even worth it or and. I think when you traded for Cam, you kind of signaled that, like, you were going to make time for him. You don't give up a first, even if it wasn't, like, the greatest first-round pick. Um, you don't give up a first for a guy that you're not going to play. That, that just doesn't happen. It doesn't make any sense. Um, so I and think we are going to that for him. a guy like Eric Gordon, who would have been more useful this year, right? Or yeah, yeah. He's win. not a win-now guy. Cam Reddish is a – he hasn't been a good a good NBA player in his, what, two, three years he's been in the league. He, he's, he's a good player. Like, he's better in theory than he is like an actual like productivity um so yeah i do think i do think they're gonna figure it out i, I feel like they kind of have to especially with the team you know like two three games under 500 now um the trade down is gonna be really interesting to see how they go about it though yeah i think uh okay but before we get into trade stuff i do want to talk a little bit about go back to this game a little bit um because i think we need to talk about obi was awesome and he was fun and i'm happy he got chance uh, at the Garden, but like we we got to talk about Quentin Grimes because every game now it's like, I mean, I remember Stacy. I remember talking to you about this uh, when we drafted him because I remember you were not the hot the, the biggest fan of that draft pick. But what I thought was that he was a player they targeted in a in a spot that they knew he would be available. I thought they extracted value from a couple of moves down to do it. And um, what I, what my belief was, was that they were probably higher internally on his upside than at least the front office. I, I don't know about Tibbs, you know, um, but the front office I thought was probably higher internally on his upside than a lot of other teams. Um, and like, look, the guy was what a top 10 prospect or something when he went to Kansas initially. So it's not like, this idea that he might have more upside than we, than was thought of when he came out in his draft class. Um, it's not like an absurd idea necessarily. And I, I mean, you just see some of the stuff today. Like I know Halliburton's not the greatest defender in the entire world, but like he burned him from a standstill off the dribble twice, no screen, nothing just burned him. Uh, and like, I mean, you like the way he, he moves pretty well for his size. Like he's got quick feet. I think he sometimes his handle isn't the sharpest, but he's still like twenty one. You know, he can obviously improve his handle, and I just think that like he has good instincts the way he plays. And I like I don't know like I just when I watch him now every game he does a couple of things that I'm like, what? Like, are we sure he can't be anything more than just like a three and D starting wing in a couple of years? Because I feel like he could be more than that. Yeah, so I'll say two things. One, I think the word, I think we've all talked about this, but the word, the 3 and D label is overused. So he has the ability to be like not 3 and D and like Robert Covington or like, you know, like Gary Trent or like one of these guys who's like either more skewed towards one end or like a guy like Kelly Oubre who's like can shoot and can defend but doesn't do either consistently. Uh, Grimes can actually be elite on both ends. Um, you know, the kind of player that 
prime Danny Green was, but even even like or a version like Joe Harris, but with elite defense, right? That's actually what I really he reminds me a lot of Joe Harris, the way he moves on offense. Um, the on ball stuff is almost just crazy at this point. Um, so I think there's two things, right? But I think he has more upside than the way three and D is thrown around as like anyone who's like six, 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 seven and can shoot and like has some athleticism, they get that label. Grimes is the real deal with that. Like he can be an elite three and D player, the kind of guy that gets 20 plus million. Um, but you know, today the on ball stuff, I've always felt like his passing is surprised and he did, you know, he came into Kansas as a passer. He's not like he's a point guard, right? Yeah, he was a yeah. well, he was point guard, shooting guard. He's like a combo guard. Um, but Candace wanted him on ball, and that was, I mean, that's tough for a lot of seventeen year olds. Um, but he, you know, I think a, it's pretty encouraging that he did reinvent himself at Houston as like an off ball guy. That's a really tough thing to do, and a lot of there's been a lot of more talented players than him that have kind of just lost their career when they realized that their identity didn't work anymore. So it's encouraging that he did that. But now you're starting to see some of those instincts come. And, you know, you, you take, you take a guy like him and you look at his off the dribble shooting. He doesn't need to be someone who's like a creator, but even if he's a secondary guy and he can run, pick and roll, and he has the ability to make the pass or like keep you honest off the dribble, compare that with the shooting gravity and man, like that is, I mean, I've been saying his ceiling is like elite role player, but like, I think he's like, there's a very good bet on him reaching that. If the driving stuff is real, that's a guy that could make an all-star game or two. You know, like if he, you know, put him in the right situation. I mean, Corver made one, right? And I think there's no reason why Grimes can't be that. I mean, Corver is an elite shooter, so when I say no reason, I mean it's. Not, it doesn't I mean, let's look be impossible. real. Corver averaged, Corver averaged like 12 points per game the year he made it. So yeah, like yeah, like the, there is a, like that's the kind of and who knows maybe he has more on ball than that, but. Um, it's clear also he just fits the Knicks mold to a T, the kind of guys they targeted in the draft. Um, I, I don't, I haven't paid too much attention to like his work ethic, but I can see his motor in games. And as I said before, like when you come in as a top five prospect, right? Think about how many guys come in and college is tough and they don't handle it well. For him to go through that, transfer and reinvent himself completely, and then now come here and immediately be a plus. That shows that his work ethic can't be anything less than elite. And the last thing I'll say is I remember um, earlier this season in November, and I'm, I'm not trying to dunk on Derek Reifer or anything. I think this is a good point. But we were discussing, and I was like, you know, Grimes might be worth start playing the rotation. He's a plus defender. And, and Derek rightfully said that, you know, it's pretty unrealistic to expect a, defend, a, a rookie to be a plus defender. And he wasn't wrong at all. Um, but Grimes has been. Except and, he was wrong. Dunk on him, <laughs> fucking loser. I mean, I think the Fuck thought, you, the thought, <laughs> the, the thought that you shouldn't expect that from a rookie was not. You know, I, I agree with him. The logic there, but Grimes was just like, nah, fuck that. You know, he's that good. Well, Grimes, um, and, and Grimes is a hooper. Grimes is a hooper. He's a real deal. And like, we have good defense. The young guys are all pretty good defenders. But quickly wasn't a great defender as a rookie. Um, RJ was a pretty bad defender as a rookie. Um, to Grimes is um, he's ahead of the curve when it comes to that. Well, can I ask you a question about Grimes real quick? Yeah. Who do you think Grimes is at the elbow? <laughs> <laughs> Who is Grimes at the elbow? Uh, Shane Battier? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> no, uh, yeah, like I, I don't know. Uh, Ariel, That's not like, a terrible comp for him either, by the way. But I think he can do more. Off-ball. I think he's got way more offensive juice than Battier did. Yeah, but like Battier I, was like super. I, I know what you what you mean, like. That's the on defense, same I think he's family. He's in that family of like player, right? 
like yeah, just super smart, can shoot, and like not just like is in the right place on defense, but like just is like processes extremely fast, is like an impactful defender on and off. And will like randomly say stuff like, Yeah, like I was never worried about defending Mello. So <laughs> put the fifty on you. Yeah. Um but like I guess Arya, I mean, you've obviously watched probably more film on the Knicks than any of us. Uh, but like what I mean, are there things that you are seeing from him from Grimes um as the season's gone on that like you know, things not not just things that you naturally expect guys to get improve at because Obviously, when you get more game reps, you're going to get more comfortable and things will kind of slow down for you. But, like, are there things he's exhibiting now that you didn't even, that weren't even there, like, even hints of uh, early in the season? Um, The passing, I think, has been the biggest thing for me. Um, Truth be told, I did not know who Quentin Grimes was before draft night. Um, Mm -hmm. I, like, binge-watched all his games the day of to to, to drop the thread or whatever. And watching the thread, uh, when I was doing, watching the film for the thread, um, he, he had a couple of, like, very, like, intriguing, like, bounce passes, but they were so, like, once every, like, five games that I saw that I was like, eh, but it's something to look for. And I think as the season has gone on, I've seen a lot more of, like, the touch and the feel, like, as a passer. And I think the one thing that, like, I've been impressed with is just how, like, quick of a decision maker he is. He maxed two dribbles, and he's he already knows what he's doing. He's either going to, like, pull up and shoot, or he's giving it off, or, you know, he doesn't like pound the rock, which is kind of a huge thing for this team because they have a lot of guys who kind of slow and methodical in the way they play. Um, but with Grimes, I've, when I watched um, all of his film, his college film, I was I think I came away like pretty high on him. And as the season has gone on, I'm, I'm like I think I'm about as high on, as high on him as probably anybody in here or even on t- on Nick's Twitter. Um, I don't think he's gonna be like this like perennial all star or anything, but. Um, I do think, like Stacy mentioned, like he can like maybe sneak in an All Star appearance or two if everything like hits just right. I think just how easy it is for him to get a shot off. That's kind of like a cheat code in the NBA, you know what I'm saying? And he's a tough shot maker. I noticed that in college too. Like he hit some tough shots, especially like at the elbow. Ironically, um, at the nail, like, <laughs> like you joked. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I'm I'm pretty high on him, man. I, I think I think he has a lot more feel than I think he's shown. And one thing I've noticed about him is. The more he plays in a game, the kind of more comfortable comfortable he gets um, on the floor. And you start to see him dribble it a little bit more. You start to see him, like, try to create a little bit more. And I think that, like, as he plays more, we're going to see a little bit more of those flashes. And I don't know. He, he's just – every time I watch a game and I'm like, all right, let me make a thread, I end up clipping, like, 12 clips of him just, like even, – even if it's just, like, a subtle stunt that helped, like, break up this whole um, set from the um, offensive team. Like, he just does a lot of little things that, like, I just love, like, as, like, a basketball nerd. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I'm with you. I think that he's. I I didn't I didn't watch much of him in college at all. I didn't watch any of him in college, actually. Let me be fucking completely honest. Uh, all my thoughts of him before the draft were just based on Prez randomly DMing me like clips of him shooting threes and being like, "Yo, his release is crazy. Look at how many threes it's off per hundred possessions, bro." Um, <laughs> so that's Prez, just a huge loser, guys. Um, but like. Uh, yeah, I mean, when I remember when I watching him in summer league, I thought, I mean, and look, I, I like I like McBride too. I think McBride probably is going to end up being a solid pro. Um, but like, I just thought Grimes, when you watched both them in summer league, I was like, okay, I can see how Deuce might need a few 
you know, a year or whatever to in spending more time in the G League and getting reps and developing. And, you know, he's going to need a little more. Well, Grimes, like, watching him in Summer League, I was like, I think he's already making, like, he's like the one guy out here playing actual basketball. Because Summer League is weird, right? It's like, you've got guys showing, like, trying to show off, trying to earn contracts. And, you know, you have teams telling certain guys, like, hey, we want you to, like, you know, we like we did with, with Quickly. We were like, yeah, be point guard. Take as many shots as you want. You know, fucking do whatever for 35 minutes a night. We don't really give a shit. Um, I thought with Grimes, what you saw was a guy who immediately, like, understood exactly what was required of his role and defensively was, like, executing to scheme perfectly, which is crazy to do in Summer League. Um, and that has translated to the NBA anytime he's played, basically. Uh, I mean, I think the, the one time he was terrible was when Tibbs randomly decided to put him in against the Nets. And it was like, yeah, so just defend Kevin Durant. Like, oh, okay. Yeah, I'll just defend Kevin Durant. Not a problem. Um, but, I mean, most, I mean, when he's gotten a chance, like you mentioned, to play extended minutes, I mean, his first start, he put up, what, nine threes? Was it or whatever it was against Milwaukee? It was like 27 points. Something yeah, like that. 27 points. Like, he, he, I think he had seven threes. It's like, you know, that is crazy. Like, um, and I think the difference with, like, like quickly, can get off volume, but he takes more time to do it, especially the way we use him, because we don't use him off ball much at all. Um, and even if we do use him off ball, we don't run him off screens, um, even though that was a thing he did at Kentucky really well. But I don't want to tell you this about quickly. I just want to say, I'm just saying this, like Grimes, he could get off 10 threes in a game without dribbling. Like literally without dribbling, he could get off 10 threes. And I think that is the difference between him and a lot of guys. Um, I don't know how many guys you can say that about in the NBA that can like legit get off 10 threes without dribbling uh, or having one you know, comes to mind. But yeah, that but might I mean, be premature I, to compare him to. Right, exactly. Like I and, people and are comparing him to, to that guy in my mentions today. Yeah, they kept they that that already happened to me, but I'm not going to do that here. Uh, but like, yeah, I mean, it's just there aren't a lot of shooters like that with that type of high release. So, um, you know, it's early, but uh, he just, he looks like he's going to be in the league for 10 years, you know, like he's minimum 10 years. He's going to be in the league. Um, and to get that at 25, I mean, look, I mean, tonight, I'll, the, the most positive sign for me tonight, he only went two of five from three today, uh, but he scored 14 points on nine shots. So, you know, Finding ways to score efficiently without lighting it up from three, uh, that's a big thing, especially for a guy like him. So uh, for him to do that tonight, I mean, I know it was the Kings, and they're not especially inspiring in any way. But I thought that was just a really, really impressive performance from him. And I mean, ultimately, like that's what you need to do, right? Like perform against the worst teams. That's like the that's where that's how you start. Um, and obviously, I mean, we've seen him play well against good teams too, so it's not like he's incapable of that. Yeah, and there, there doesn't seem to be solving a player that was kind of a flash in the pan and teams figured him out, um, and that's Jeremy Lin, right? But if you look at some players who have been like that for the Knicks, um, Landry Fields was, I guess, another who had a half season of greatness. He doesn't feel like that with Grimes, right? It feels very scalable and repeatable and... Um, there doesn't seem to be something that like defense is going to pounce on, or uh, you know, a weakness in his game that that he needs to constrain the rest of it. You know, the one thing is like 
attacking the rim would help him run more pick and roll, which, um, you know, as great as it is that he can get 10 threes off without taking a dribble, that just makes him that much more dangerous, being able to do more stuff off the dribble. But again, that's icing on the top. Like, there's very little to suggest or very little I can point at unless he just, like, for whatever reason, stops making shots. There's very little. It's tough for me to picture him not being a pretty high impact player at this point. He feels like the prototypical guy that'll like, like he may never be a star, but he'll be like a star in his role kind of guy. Like he, he'll be like whatever. If he just ends up being like, uh, uh, I don't know who did you mention earlier? Like I don't know. Even like if he's like a Nick Batum guy, like a little bit of a connector who can shoot and defend, like that kind. He'll be like one of those elite guys in the NBA. It feels like. Yeah, I said Danny Green. Um, I think Joe Harris, I, I mean, again, that's an elite shooter, so maybe that's mm-hmm. going a little far. But on offense, like the way he can move and his release, uh, the quickness of it does remind me a little bit of, of um, Joe Harris. But he's, his athleticism and, and defense is more reminiscent of like prime Danny Green. I think like both of those outcomes, like for the 25th pick, um, I mean, it's probably going to get him paid too. But, um, you know, I think the kind of player he could be is like the kind of guy who ends up getting four for 80 at some point. You know? Yeah, no, I'm, I'm with you. Um, yeah. I also, also, I just say, I'll say this because, you know, it's kind of boring because I feel like we've talked about him a bunch, but um, I thought Mitch played really well tonight. I thought he dominated a matchup. He should dominate. And I, you know, he was, he was all over the place. He had a size advantage. He capitalized on it. But he was playing a crafty, he, a skilled player. Rashawn Holmes is, not, is a good player. And that kind is, of player yeah. has given uh, Mitch some problems in the past. So it was good to, to see him dominate. But sorry, go ahead. No, I, I mean, I didn't want to say anything too much about him. But, like, I've shed on him a bunch this year. I've been very disappointed with him. But um, I think he's been – he's picked it up lately. And I thought tonight was maybe his best game of the year in a lot of ways. I thought he was really good. Um, and – yeah, he dominated that game. I thought he might have been maybe the next best player. Um, I didn't like that Tibbs decided to pull him at the end of the first half because they went to, like, hack a Mitch for a second. I think he just leave him in and let him figure it out. Um, not a huge deal, I guess, but I thought that was a little weird. But, yeah, I mean, I, I just I think he looks sharp. He looks, he looks back to maybe his best athletically. I'm actually annoyed that we don't have another game against... Boston left on our schedule um, because I would like to see him have another shot against Robert Williams, uh, who's given him a lot of problems this year. But, you know, uh, I just thought I thought he looked really good. And I thought he he played. I thought he was the best player on, on the Knicks today. Uh, he was awesome. He also had that nice um, crafty finger yeah. roll off the offensive rebound. Yeah, yeah that was awesome. Um, but, yeah, uh, look. We did mention trade season before, and there is a Nick. You know, we talked about Kemba. I would trade him regardless of who else I trade or don't trade. I think he needs to go. But um, we can't ignore the elephant in the room. Uh, that is R.J. Barrett. No, I'm just kidding. Um, no, it's uh, it's Julius Randle. Uh, look, he had a good game today. I was happy to see him have a good game because it has been very, very frustrating to say the least to watch in this year uh i put out a thread earlier today but and and i'm i I, like you watch a game like tonight i'm like well do i want to trade him but i do think the knicks should trade him i i think so like i i don't know what's going on with him i I, i'm not sure what 
what happened or what, why he's been in such a look. Let's be honest. He's, he's been kind of an asshole this year, the way he's played, um, you know, his body language, his effort at various points, just a lot of things have not been good watching him play this year. Um, and the thing is like you watch these young guys play and you see how they play together and they get up the floor and they play, they play more of like uh, a team oriented style, which to be fair, I think is because none of them have the ability to just like create out of an ISO like a Julius can, you know, that's a gift and a curse at times. Um, so I think they have to play a bit, a bit more together and stuff like that. But I mean, you watch it and I just think it's arguably like something you need to consider. And, and what I just keep coming back to is like, if you're the front office, you have a, the decision that you're facing is, do you believe that Julius is going to bounce back? And maybe he, ne- he, he maybe he never reaches the level he was at last year. But do you think he's going to be a? I mean, he's been better than he's been this year for sure before in his career. Um, like, can he bounce back a bit and, and be a good player again and be worth that contract and be more multifaceted and not so singular of an ISO style of player? Uh, can he buy into a team that he's not a clear-cut one on? Maybe he'll be a two on it. Maybe he's a third option on it. I don't know. But uh, can he adjust to that? And 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 would you would you rather bet on that, or would you rather pivot and trade him for a player and a pick? Like like I'll just give an example. Uh, I think if you're the Knicks, I think you can probably get Harrison Barnes in a first round pick from the Kings. I, I'm I would bet money you can, uh, especially after tonight. Randall played well. Vivek was probably watching. Um, I'm sure he's ready to trade. Stauskas rocks. Yeah, right. I'm sure. I'm sure. I'm sure he's ready to trade everything uh, for former All NBA Most Improved Player Julius Randall. Like this is how he's his decision making is often work. Um, but like, I think you can get Barnes. I think you can get a first round pick. I think maybe you could even pull a second first round pick. Uh, I'm not sure about that. Maybe a couple of seconds instead of another first. Like, I just think you can get off that. Barnes is not like some amazing player or anything like that, but um, he, and he's definitely worse than Julius. So I'm not under the impression that he would be better than Julius. But I do think that he presents, in some ways, uh, a cleaner way to develop your other young guys because he's more of a stretch forward. And the Knicks haven't had that type of player uh, at the four in a while. No, they had it last year, right? Yeah, I mean, yeah, but I don't think Julius played, like, just a pure stretch four. You know what I mean? Like, he's not just, like... He's ball-dominant like, and initiates yeah. and all that, yeah. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So, like, I, I I wonder about that. I think you would be able to start Obi then. Um, and I just, like, wonder if, like, all of that... And, hey, look, maybe you get that Kings pick. What if it was, like, top... 10 protected this year and then it becomes like top three protected after that or something like i don't know i just i just think there's a world where you can trade julius and and i'll be i'll be also honest in this way i think if we trade julius he'll be better wherever he goes than he's been with the Knicks this year because i just think like i mean even tonight as well as he played there were still times where he has like this weird energy of like i it feels like he makes a mistake and he's like so in his head about it. And I'm like, why are you this upset about like missing an and one opportunity? It's fine. Like we're up 35 points. Relax. Um, I don't know. I just, 
that's I, I can't like escape that thought now because and it, it hasn't helped. I'll be honest, like some of the stuff we've seen the last stretch of games and all, really all season from Julius has been pretty fucking concerning. I would say. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, sorry. Good. Uh, I, I was just gonna say, like you kind of touched on it, like um, Julius kind of has to find that middle ground between like last season and this season. Um, he can't. I mean, he'll probably never be an All NBA guy again, and and that's perfectly fine. Um, but he also can't be, you know, the version of Julius that he's been this year. Um, and I think that's kind of the bet you're making at the deadline. Like, if you do have a deal on the table and you don't take take the deal, is that like he can, you know, kind of reinvent himself into this guy that's like more willing to to acquiesce to the guys around him. I don't think he's been like a selfish player per se this season. I just think he's kind of been in his head a little too much. And it's I think he got in a slump and I think it kind of spiraled out of control. And um, but the decision making to me has been more concerning, as I mentioned earlier, than than the actual like shooting numbers. Um, if a deal like Barnes and a first is on the table, I think that's something that's gonna like that really makes you think hard, because if you can get off that contract, it kind of gives you a clean slate in a sense, uh, in terms of like what you're building going towards the future. Um, because as it stands, he's like the only real long term deal on, on the contract, other than uh, on the on your books, other than Fournier. So, I mean, me personally, I'd probably take the deal, to be quite honest with you, just because of how concerning um, his play has been this season. And I do agree with, with you, um, Shuin, that I do think wherever he goes, he'd probably play a lot better. Um, but that's also something you would have to, like, live with. And getting a King's pick is always very valuable. So, you know, um, <laughs> I'd be for that deal. <laughs> yeah, I just... The, the Barnes one just strikes, strikes me. And it's like... I don't think Barnes is an amazing, like, again, I just, I don't think he's like a great player or something, but just the type of player he is like my, I've always thought like, sometimes it's not about necessarily, especially if you're like, and so there's a, a, a couple of things about this though. I don't think that like, I don't think that trading Randall and playing the young guys more means that we're tanking. Do I think we're a better team? I mean, you could argue this year we are a better team without Randall. But, like, I I, I would be fine with the Knicks taking a step back. I don't think the Knicks would totally suck. Like, it, And if you do think the Knicks would totally suck, it, that's basically what you're saying is that you don't think the Knicks' young talent is that good. And I guess that's just where I disagree. Like, I think a lot of these guys are good. Um, I think RJ is making a leap. I think Grimes is really good. I think Obi's really good. I think Obi, you know, if anything, it's a it's a it's a vote of confidence in Obi, right? Like, I, I think he's really good. I think he needs to play more, you know? Like, especially lately, he's starting to show us so much more stuff off the bounce. That fake he um, had today, the fake in drive was... Uh, oh, man. Like a Kimolajo on there. Yeah, except better. <laughs> that's, that's that's high praise from Schwinn, by the way, who's like <laughs> the biggest Kimolajo on Stan I know, so... It's true. Um, but, like... It's yeah. I mean, I just like I think quickly's. I I know that it's you know you're not allowed to say this, but um, I think quickly's good. You know, I know that's crazy for a lot of people. Uh, you know, I just I would like to see these guys get more to str- like be forced to almost stretch their games out more and take on more responsibility and see how they respond to that. Um, but I also think like playing with a stretch forward like Barnes, it it can help you and it also gives you reps playing in a different environment than the type of construction the Knicks have with their current roster, right? Like, even though they have used 
Randall and Obi at times to stretch the floor. I think it's very different to do that with somebody like Harrison Barnes as your four. Um, and, you know, I'm okay with taking a step back if you have concerns about Julius like I do. And, like, I can't shake that. Like, you know, I got to be honest about it. Like, I can't. The way he's played this year is very concerning. Like, it really is. Um, and I'm not sure how to, like, reconcile that, I guess, is probably um, my, my big thing. Yeah, I um, I mean, yeah, it's four years. Um, he, at this point, you can still sell teams on, you know, he just needs a change of scenery, right? Especially um, Sacramento. I'm like, I'm like, I can't. Like, as soon as I like looked up the contracts, right? Because I was doing like fake trades and stuff. I was just like, they would definitely do this trade. Like, Vivek would definitely do this trade. I just get him, get him on the phone with me. We'll talk. We'll have chai. <laughs> talk about it but yeah sorry go ahead stacy uh yeah no um yeah i i think that but even if it's not vivek i think there's other teams you could sell on that um especially a team like sacramento that does have a point guard right or or one it believes in multiple now right um i think you actually even yeah (laughs) um but you play next to um you play next to a guy like halliburton you know, maybe we talk a lot about shot creation load, right? But maybe there's something to be said for processing load too, right? And he's playing with an elite processor in Halliburton. So that's, you know, if you allow him to do kind of more of the complex reads and allow Randall to play off of that, can he distribute that load more? And then, yeah, you have a, a fast player in Fox who can take care of more of the rim pressure. That that can make Randall really pop. Uh, but if you wait another year and this continues, Right, that could really ta- like. I don't think his value is tanked at this point, and um, and I don't know that the upside from keeping him at this point is is better off than than cutting your losses and and doing something that maybe works out for all parties. And and as long as you send him where you're not, you know, if you don't draw this out, if this, if you have the trade deadline, you have ten days, and it happens pretty quickly. Like Randall, there might be some bad blood, but I think all parties would be fine. But if this turns into the kind of situation that we've seen with other highly played players, where some one side demands out, or, or you know, either it's Randall gets too frustrated and demands out, or the other side where the Knicks are actively shopping him and every, it's embarrassing for all parties, you'd rather avoid that, right? So if you have an opportunity, you get Harrison Barnes, who is not a great player but can fit well around your young guys. Um, you know, give you a clean slate in two years and maybe add a pick. Like, and because I do think that, you know, this year, coming into this year, the Knicks were in the, the nice position of being able to. Last year, we were like, we're competing now, but we're building our young talent, right? One of those things for the near future appears to not be that great an option, right? You are, I agree with you that the Knicks have talent. They do not have the kind of talent that is, that's, can really make any kind of noise in the Eastern Conference. And a big part of that is the Eastern Conference has gotten better, um, including some of the other young teams with talent, like Cleveland, right? So at this point, it is, like, there is a, like, you don't have to be tanking, but you are kind of rebuilding and, de- you are developing, right? They're a developing team. They're not a, they're not a tanking team. They're not a bad team. They're also not a contending team. And at that point, uh, the utility of, of, fewer veteran long-term commitments as well as a player who fits better with the kind of style you want to go towards and the pick is just going to have more utility than betting on a guy 
playing to a level that even when he was playing at the level that didn't make you a championship contender, right? So it's limited upside and the risk of not doing it is, is pretty substantial. Um, I, I guess the counterpoint, which a lot of people have raised is, well, what if you got a really good point guard? Does that change it? Does that make Randall's job easier? And like, I guess, I guess that's like a fair argument to make my, and I get, look, we didn't see it because Kemba was not really good this year. Um, but even on the nights where, like, we still don't know. I don't know. I don't know what, how does the version of Julius that you're hoping to unlock, how does that unlock with a better playmaker? How does he fit with that? How does he alter his game? How does he change his usage? Um, I don't know. But, like, the other question is, what point guards are out there that I can get? You know, like, I've gone back and forth on Brunson in my head. Um, I'm not, like, I'm not, I wouldn't be opposed to getting Jalen Brunson. But I also watch Jalen Brunson, and I'm like, is he the the stir that's going to, like, is he the straw that's going to stir the drink for a Julius Randle you know, next to Julius Randle, like how much does he, how much can he really move the needle? And like, I've pulled up the per 36 stats and compared him to Fred Van Vliet and stuff like that. But like, I don't think he's anywhere. I don't think he has the gravity of somebody like Fred Van Vliet. I don't think he's as dynamic as Fred Van Vliet as I know he's a way better finisher, but in terms of the speed at which he penetrates and can scramble a defense, I don't think he's anywhere close to Van Vliet. Um, I don't think he's a, the the playmaker that Van Vliet is, so I I just don't think he's fundamentally as good, and he's definitely not the defender Van Vliet is, right? Um, so I don't think he's like at that level of he might not be an all star, but he might just be good enough as your primary ball handler that if you can get a wing who can be like if you can get a Kawhi level wing or something like that, um, yeah, you might be able to be a championship contender anyway. Um, but like I don't think Brunson is that guy. Then you look at somebody like Darren Fox, who, you know, I, I don't know. He just makes me very worried at times because the shooting, the lack of shooting with him, or the percentages and all that, like they don't fill me with a ton of confidence. Um, but I think inherently there is an upside in Darren Fox that doesn't exist with somebody like Jalen Brunson. Um, the speed at which he can play at. The finishing ability at the rim. Uh, I know Stacy is probably a lot more bullish on Fox than I am, but like, even with my skepticism, if you're going to keep Julius, uh, I think like you have to take a swing then at some point on a point guard that can maybe elevate your team. And I don't love the idea of pairing Fox with Julius at all. Actually, I've tweeted out that like, if you are going to trade for Fox, you should probably trade Julius like that, that should just happen but um you know I just think like yeah there is a world where maybe that works but like yeah I mean Fox's speed and all that kind of stuff I just think there's an upside with him that doesn't exist with somebody like Brunson but you know again how does he fit with Julius how does that work I don't know I don't think it, it doesn't in my head it doesn't seem to like blend very well um and then other than that like what other point guards are even out there on the market you know Maybe Donovan Mitchell wants to leave Utah because they're apparently going to suck the rest of the year. Um, you know, I don't know, but it's not like there's a shit ton of options out there. 
Free agency is kind of dead for the next year or two. Um, so that makes it even tougher, as you mentioned, to find a point guard. I like Brunson. Um, like you mentioned, though, I don't know how much he moves the needle. I don't. I don't think he's uh, he as you mentioned, like the gravity. gravity. Yeah, exactly. So, which, which, you know, it, you don't need a point guard to make you a contender. But if you're gonna commit that kind of money to someone, you you want to be able to like say like he's gonna make us X amount better. Um, I do. De'Aaron Fox is tricky as well for me. Um, I do like the fact that he can get to the rim basically at will. But the shooting numbers are, are a concern, and I'm not sure I necessarily like his fit alongside RJ. Um, but I don't know, man. It, it's oh, I, I <laughs> I'm like all over the place. I change my mind on, on on all these guys like every other day. Well, let me ask you this, right? So, given that all of the point guards on the market have some risk, right? And, and they're all lefties, apparently. Yeah. <laughs> um. So we were talking about all lefties. Um. But the Knicks do. The Knicks have taken three. There is one player who people refuse to believe can be a point guard, but they have taken three guard-shaped objects. Yeah. Um, and we're here to tell you why Obi Toppin is the point guard of the future. Exactly. They took one at eight. Um, <laughs> so, by the way, I'm, I am really happy that Obi had a good game. And I, I've been fascinated. I've loved the development of Tyrese Halliburton. Uh, I'd love to see Tyrese, our Tyrese get proven wrong after we called him pseudo-wudo. But I was happy to not have to deal with 10,000 Mark Barman tweets about how the Knicks passed on Halliburton, uh, especially with Obi having a good night. Having said that, the Knicks have taken three I guards. got some Halliburton hot takes. <laughs> you have some Halliburton? I'll, I'll save that for after. I'll save yeah. I, I, yeah, I watched a lot of Kings this year, but I'll save that for after. This, well, I, yeah, this maybe. Second. But the Knicks have taken three guards, right? And so on the one hand, it's a really tough sell to the fan base to be like, let's see what Rokas has. Let's see if McBride can develop. Even with quickly, most fans have lost patience, right? They don't, they don't, you know, I think he's improved in many ways, but uh, the three point shooting obviously uh, wasn't as good as it was last year. Do you think, what is the case? Is there a case? And I think, um, Ariel, you've watched, I think, more of all three than I have, um, certainly Rokas. Um, you know, is there a case to be made that that would be the best play for the Knicks is to bring over Rokas Yukubaitis? You still have a high floor option in Rose when he's healthy. And, you know, you have three bets, three bets that one of them is going to be the guy who can be the point guard in the future. Is that a worthwhile bet for the Knicks to make? I like Rokas. Um, I, I do like Rokas. I've, I've seen about, like, ten games of his um, over the summer, I saw them. What I liked about him is he has some, like, creation ability. I, I think his jumper looks real. I think he can get to the rim pretty easily. He has, like, Dragic-esque, like, finishes. I'm not saying he's going to be Goran Dragic. But, um... It's a it's a risky bet to make because you're betting kind of on guys two guys who you drafted in the second round and quickly who you drafted late first so none of them really have the kind of uh, even though I am high on quickly for, for what it's worth I'm just saying they don't have like the kind of talent that screams point guard of the future um just based off where they were selected in the draft so I, I think either way you're taking a risk um but I do think you have put those resources into those guys so you kind of there is some like wanting to see where it leads you. Um, I still think quickly can be that guy. I know a lot of people, for some reason, are opposed to that um, idea. But um, I, I also think he just make this team better right now for what it's worth. And I just think I think you roll the dice with quickly, and and you bet on Deuce or, or Rokas making an impact in in a year or two. Um, instead of putting money into a guy that you're not. Unless you're 100% confident that Brunson or Fox are, are going to work out here, like I, I don't think you make that move 
I think Fox has a huge contract. You don't want to take on that that kind of risk. And I think with Brunson, I don't think there's any question that he would be a good player. And I think he would make the Knicks better. But I just, I again, I just question like how much better like is it worth? You know what I'm saying? The the the, the contract he's probably gonna get. Yeah, Brunson is, and I, I like that's kind of the thing is, Brunson probably isn't. I don't think he moves the needle for you in a significant way. I think he'll move the needle for you in the way that you thought that we thought Kemba could move the needle for us. Exactly. Um, in in terms of like basically just not being Alfred Payton, um, which by the way, just a horrible thing that's happened is Kemba Walker apparently being worse than Alfred Payton for this team. Um, but like, yeah, Jay, I think Brunson would would be solid in that sense. But you're still not there. And to Stacey's point, like the East is better. So if you're adding a guy like Brunson, where is that moving you to? Like, are are we just at that point happy with solidifying ourselves within at least a play-in context? Um, or do you think like because to me the only way that can happen then is if a Rand if Randall is like, way better. Or if he improves, or if he's still here, obviously. And then the other one, obviously, is like RJ taking a big leap, or one of these young guys taking a big leap. I don't want to just limit to RJ because I think that's kind of like uh, it's it's not an accurate depiction. But like he's obviously the most likely one given the kind of usage he sees. Um, but like you know, I don't know how to feel about that. And um, you know, uh, if you want to tell me it's like a you know, uh, the step before the step, the contract will help you trade for a star that you need. Like, I, yeah, I could see that. But, um, you know, I just, that's really what it comes, what I always, uh, what my hesitation would be uh, with committing to someone like Brunson is just, what is you, what are you actually getting out of that? Where are you actually headed to as a team? when you commit to a guy like him um, without already having your necessary primary superstar in place. Um, Because like, if you told me the Lakers got Jalen Brunson, that would be significant to me. Uh, But we are not the Lakers, right? We don't have LeBron. We don't have AD. So that's, that's different. Um, And so like, I just wonder if, if you are going to make a move for a point guard, like the the way I'm I tr- I'm try I guess I've come around to thinking is like let's say I, I mean because those two are the names that feel like they could possibly actually be on the market for the Knicks either at the deadline or over the off season or something. Um, and my thing is like, is there a bigger risk with De'Aaron Fox? Absolutely, in almost in almost every way. Uh, you talk about on court fit. Uh, the contract value, probably what their price will be uh, in terms of what you need to trade to get them. But I also do think that Fox can move the needle potentially in a way that Brunson would just not be able to. And it might, at some point, I just think you need to roll the dice on something and you got to take a shot. Um, I don't know. I don't know if that's the right shot. I don't know, but it's just one that's out there. And I think that's one that, you know, depending on the price and all that, I wouldn't hate it. I'm not the biggest fan of it, but 
Like I probably wouldn't be the one to do it myself, but I I understand why a team would be interested in somebody like what Darren Fox from the table. Especially one like the Knicks who haven't had a good point guard playing, you know, God knows how long. That that is interesting. Um I I think the cost ends up being too much and I just um I think having a sturdier defender in Brunson like I mean, is there a player with like who has transformed from what De'Aaron Fox has been to like so like a guy like Levine was always a good shooter, right? Um he's like has there been a guy that has had the kind of transformation you'd want to see from Fox? Um off the top of my head, I would say no. Um but what if I were to tell you what if I were to tell you that I have a twenty two no. Um, something might be, I just what if that. I were to, <laughs> uh, what if I were to tell you that there is an NBA champion starting point guard who from age twenty to twenty three shot twenty six point four percent from three? Is that something you might be interested in? <laughs> is it Chauncey or Lowry? It's gotta it's be Lowry. Lowry. Yeah. It's Lowry. Um I I'll pull up Darren Fox's but like like Darren, I, I think Darren Fox is a good free throw shooter, right? I believe. Yeah, he's a good uh, free throw shooter. He's, no? he, he, he's always been a good spot-up three-point shooter. He shot 39% yeah, last year. Even this year, he's 34% on spot-ups, which is, uh, you know, not terrible. So I think, like, as a shooter, he reminds me a little bit of John Wall. Um, in that John Wall later, especially in his career, started to be pretty reliable on catch and shoot, but the problem was he barely moved and he didn't hunt shots. So kind of Schwinn has mentioned this, right? But De'Aaron Fox can catch and shoot, but he's not a good off-ball player. Um, and so you need the ball in his hands, but he's a terrible pull-up shooter. So that's really kind of the conundrum. Um, in addition well, to he that... Is, that he, he is a good mid-range. He, he is a good pull-up shooter for mid-range. That that should be said. Yeah. Um his pa- I, I was much more impressed with his passing in college than I have been in the pros. I actually really thought he was going to be a great passer. Um, but um, but I mean, I I don't I don't think you like I think you end up having to give up one of quickly or Grimes or Ob at at the minimum, um, and probably multiple first round picks, and then you're in the same boat where where does that team go? Um, you know, um, what if would you do the deal if you didn't have to give up any of those guys? Yes. So then you think it's worth it. Yeah. Yeah, like, I, it's just, um, you know, I, I will say this, Lowry. Uh, and because one, one other thing I'll say is you make a good point about, you know, you're kind of in a tough spot in terms of where does that team go. But both of these guys, one is 25 and Fox is 23. So you do have time, as long as you don't scorch earth the roster and your asset base, you do have time to build around them. Um, and playing with a young point guard like that is going to be attractive to a lot of players. Um, yeah, just just worth noting, uh, Kyle Lowry shot seventy seven percent from the free throw line over those years. Uh, his first one, two, three, four years in the league. Uh, De'Aaron Fox, through his first five years in the league, has shot seventy two point two percent from the free throw line. He's at seventy four point four this year, which would be a career high. Um, you know, not look. Kyle Lowry is. <laughs> a fucking outlier of all outliers, you know, like 
his path to being a top two player on a title team is not one that gener- and to be the primary ball handler point guard on a title team uh that's not one that you look around the NBA uh you look at the guys that have won championships that's not a journey that most of them take um so he's a very big he's a huge outlier um so it's I, I you know you asked I just brought one up I the odds are De'Aaron Fox is not going to have a Kyle Lowry trajectory. And the other thing, too, is like Lowry was always a pretty good defender, um, if I remember correctly. I, I don't, I'm not going to pretend like I was, you know, fucking watching a bunch of Kyle Lowry in Memphis tape. But um, I'm pretty sure he was always considered a pretty solid defender. He obviously had a better frame uh, in a lot of ways than Fox does because Fox has decent size, but he's just not very broad at all. So he's not very switchable. Lowry has that, you know, that he's thick. Let's put it that way. Um, but yeah, I just, I don't know. Like I just, my, my thought with Fox is always just like, it depends on the price, but there is a price where I think like you probably need to just take the risk on a guy with that speed, that combination of speed, finishing and handle um, at his age. like. I think uh, someone on our Discord, uh, Hug Life, he called he called it the Marbury the Marbury bet. That's what he called it, which was not inspiring, uh, and still kind of is not inspiring at the same time. But also like the Marbury, like I got the Marbury trade. I mean, it it wasn't my favorite trade, but like I understood why you did it. Um, and there's a world where the Knicks put together a better roster around him and maybe get more out of it. But like. You know, Fox is similar, right? He's not perfect. That's why you can maybe get him. Like, that's, you know, that's ultimately the thing with most of the trades you're going to make is, like, you're not getting perfect players. And when you do get those type of star players that, like, you're going to give up a fucking haul. Um, so, yeah, I, I, I agree. Like, I think if the price is right, uh, as Stacy said, that, um, you know, you should probably do it. Like, if I can keep my core young guys, which right now I would say are RJ, Grimes, quickly Obi. Um, I don't think they would care about Mitch, so I'm not even, wouldn't even be worried about keeping Mitch. If I can keep those guys, I probably would be okay with doing a deal, um, depending on how many picks I had to give up also. What if they said the price is wrong, bitch? Then that would suck. Um, yeah, I don't know. Ariel, have you watched much of Fox or I watched more of him last year than this year um because I'm at time but overall with Fox I've always liked Fox especially in college I was, you know I liked him a lot um again I'm not a fan of guys who can't really shoot and can't really function without the ball in their hand um you guys said that he doesn't play well off the ball I'm, I'm, I'm not sure about that I just haven't seen enough to, to so I'm just taking your word for it um, I think I think what we're seeing with this team, like especially right now, is that you kind of need guys that can play off of each other. If not, you get a lot of the stagnation that we're seeing right now with like Julius and, and with Fournier and Kemba. Well, Fournier can't play off the ball, but with Kemba as well, I, I just think you want more. I, like I, I prefer Brunson over Fox. I think, like especially for the price points, I, I would prefer Brunson just because we've seen Brunson play alongside uh, an initiator like Luca, and the Knicks don't have that kind of initiator but eventually you know in theory they do get that guy um i can picture 
them sliding easier alongside Brunson than I can with Fox. The, the current versions of those guys. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and since neither of them is going to be the best player on a championship team, you need to be prepared for, you want to have someone who can play both those roles, ideally. Yeah. And I think yeah, worst case, you get you get Brunson as like a super sub, as as he kind of was earlier in this year with with the Mavericks. Like you know, he can run a unit yeah. by himself. Yeah, it's just I don't know. I just I feel like I, when I watch the Knicks, I'm always just like, I feel like having. I mean, we saw this with Rose, right? Like we got Rose last year, and I was like, wow, so this is what this is what dribble penetration does for a team. Like that's pretty cool. Good to know. Uh, but Rose obviously has turned himself into a pretty solid shooter now, so that. Is different, and I think Rose has always been better about cutting off the ball at times. He still like falls asleep off the ball um, in moments, but like that's definitely something he's gotten better at uh, playing off of others. But yeah, I mean, I you know it is like you know, and I don't, I I don't know if like I don't think it works where it's like oh well Rose is a fast point guard, so if we trade for Fox, he can te- like Rose can teach him the ropes like. I don't think it works like that, um, especially since Rose was about 500 times better than Fox will ever be. Um, but yeah, I, I don't know. I just, I do think the Knicks need to make some moves at the deadline. I, I feel like this is like, last year it was, like, they stood pat and I did not really have a problem with it at all. I actually, I thought that was the right move to not make a move. Um, I thought that was the right move, but I, I really think they need to do something at this deadline, probably a few things whether that be consolidating for a player or simply moving off some vets for similar contracts and some draft capital to free up space for their young guys. Um, you know, I just think, or, and again, like we talked about the Julius thing, it is, I really think like very, I very strongly believe that they need to trade Julius at this point. Um, and it's not because I think he's a bad player. I just think whatever is going on with him in New York, it's not, it doesn't look good. Um, I'm not sure what is going on. And maybe it's something that, you know, people in the org have more information to, and they think that it'll pass in time or whatever it is. But, um, you know, just based on what we've seen, I, I would, I would deal with him. And I think you can get positive value for him. And, and the other thing about that is people will be like, well, if we had traded him after last season, we would have gotten more. And maybe that's true. But, the Knicks are going to get more for him in trade than they would have if they traded him when we all wanted him to be traded, which was when Leon and them took over. We're like, get rid of this fucking guy. Get him out of here. Um, they they would have gotten nothing for him. So if they can net some positive value for him now in trade, um, they'll have done very well for themselves in managing that entire situation. And, um, you know, I just think that's something they need to do. And, you know, again, like it's a – it is a – it is a seller's market out there because nobody uh, there, there are just, there are more buyers and there are sellers, right? So, um, you know, supply is very limited. So a guy like Julius fucking was all in, man. Yeah. And no, I mean, he was all in thing is like, it sounds stupid, but like that all NBA, all that stuff like that does matter when you're trading for players and like trying to get uh, value. And I, I do think that like, there'll be teams that look at Julius, saw what he did last year, and think like, yeah, but if we like, we can fix him. You know, like I can fix him. I can do it. Yeah, uh, I, mean, I don't think he is the kind of player where you say there's an attitude problem, right? It doesn't seem to be a player who I we've talked about this. I don't think he 
like he doesn't care, right? I think the problem is he often cares too much. Um, he is not adjusting to being the number one option um, in a new situation as well as you would like. But I don't think you have to worry about him showing up or working out or like those. Like there are players where you're like, I don't know if he's going to come to camp in shape, right? Those kind of things don't be seem to be the problem with Julius and. Uh, I don't think he's like a low IQ player. Like he's he's a smart player. He's just you know he's not great at making like super advanced reads, right? But he, like he gets the game. Like you you give him some help and allow him to not have to do so much, and he can add value, right? And I'm I'm sure there would be a team that would take that swing. Um, I am curious on your Halliburton take, unless you you had more you wanted to say on on Randall. I just think look, I've watched a lot of the Kings this year, and I think Halliburton is good. I don't think he's a bad player. What I do think is I've seen people talking about like the numbers he's been putting up without Fox and he's like a star in the making and all this stuff and like I just don't think any of those people are well. like you're either a Kings fan, which if you're a Kings fan and you have that opinion, that's completely fine because I respect that type of homerism. But if you're not a Kings fan and you have that opinion, you're a fucking idiot and you're not watching the Kings. I know you're not watching the Kings if you think that. Jackson uh, Frank I, had like a pretty extensive, long article on. Uh, yeah, on well, I promise you, I've watched more of the Kings than Jackson Frank has. <laughs> um, and look, today was like, do you, do you know what he put up today? Uh, His numbers. It's like fourteen. Uh, what do you think he? What do you think he put up today? Like fourteen and six, something like that. He put up twenty-one and eight today. And this is this happens all the time with him. You watch these games, they get their ass kicked. He's got a great stat line. Probably the best on the team. I'm not like I think right now he's an empty stats guy. I don't think he'll gonna I think in time he'll, you know, translate that to being more than an empty stats guy. But like and 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 look, this is not obviously all his fault either, right? The Kings are a fucking mess. But like I mean, do you watch him and you're like yeah, man, this guy is the fucking. I can't like. I have never watched him and been like, "Oh my god, I'm so pissed." The Knicks passed on drafting it. Not a single fucking time have I watched him. And Do you that. feel like that about anyone else from that draft class? Like, there because the other guys would be Cole Anthony and Tyrese Maxey get mentioned. Probably Maxey. That's about it. Yeah, I know you're a huge Maxey fan. Before. And even like, I'm not going to kill them for not taking Maxey at eight. I don't think that like he went at 21. We can sit here and say I had him at eight or I, had, you know, he went at 21. I'm not going to kill them for that. Like, that's just absurd. But, like, yeah, I, I I don't know. I just watch enough of the Kings, and this is kind of, like, why I've had so many varying, fluctuating thoughts on De'Aaron Fox. But, like, I do think that you see in games like this today um, and this stretch, I think every time Fox is out, you see how much his, like, ability to score in the half court and penetrate and drive and all that stuff consistently on anybody, um, how much that helps. And, like, I know he had this monster game against Philly, what, he had, like, 38-7-5 and five or something like that. But, like, I didn't watch the game, so I can't tell you what happened there. Um, but, like, I've watched him enough this year where I think there are a lot, like, a lot, a lot of nights where you watch and then you look at the box score and you're like, wait, what? Like, he had that much tonight? I don't know. I just like I like tonight. I mean, forget forget anything. Like, if you just watched him tonight, would you look watched him and been like, "Damn, 
he might he could be you know he we the Knicks miss, missed out on a franchise point guard. I sure shit didn't. I watched him and I'm like, does he is he scared of Mitchell Robinson right now? Because it sure as hell looked like he was scared of Mitchell Robinson at various points in the second half, where he's like, oh shit, I don't want to pass. I just I think he like he has the ball a lot. He's like you mentioned, he is he's a good decision maker, so um, that helps. He's an efficient scorer. These are not like bad things. But leveraging that to being a pause player, I think I'm not sure he's there yet, and I don't know what his ceiling is in that capacity. Um, and the, the other thing I'll say is like, wasn't he supposed to be like some awesome defender coming out of college? Well, he has been off ball, but he's skinny and not super quick. But off ball, like he's great at jumping passing lanes. But a lot of people mentioned that on ball, like he gets he, in college, he got away with like he's he's a smart player, he has good technique, and he's super long. Um, but he doesn't have, uh, he, you know, as Tyrese mentioned, he is, he's, he kind of looks like Sudowudo. Um, that is kind of the on ball defense has always been kind of, it is a lot like Lonzo when he came into the league, except Lonzo did put on a lot more weight and became a better on ball. I think, defender. and Lonzo has a better frame too, right? Right. But what he's done that Lonzo has not is, or, you know, he has shown more off the dribble. Um, he did look yeah, to yep. be, he, he's not, this is not De'Aaron Fox, but he can get to the rim more than a guy like, for example, quickly right now, right? Um, who those two were compared together more last year. <coughs> um, and the pull-up shooting where he's shooting over 40%, where in college he had gaudy spot-up numbers, but everyone's like, yeah, but he's not a point guard in the league. Those two developments are what have people more optimistic but i think you made a lot of valid points um he is always going to be more of that guy who like makes the engine hum without explicitly imposing his will on the game i think for some people that actually means that he he is even better right because he doesn't he'd be great on philly um yeah um but um but ariel i'm curious um i don't know how much of the kings you've watched or you know what your thoughts on him were today but um you know uh, what do you think about what Stephen said um, from the little I've seen of him, I've always liked him. Um, but he, uh, to Schwinn's point, I don't think he's ever like jumped off the page for me. Um, I've always thought he was like a pretty like. I think he's a guy that can help you win games, and but I don't think he's a guy that'll like. I don't know how to explain it. Like he's not. He's never been like a, a wow. Like that guy can like hoop. You know, uh, I don't get that feeling from him. Not to sound like BDS. Um, <laughs> but overall, I mean, from just from what I've seen today, I haven't watched too many Kings games this year. Um, from what I've seen this uh, today, um, yeah, I, I think he was pretty quiet. I, when Schwinn mentioned his numbers, I was like, I think he had like 15 and like 6. And I had the stats pulled up and he had 21 and 8. I, I didn't, I don't know how he got those numbers, to be quite honest with you. I thought he settled for a couple of pull-up jumpers, especially. Um, I don't know, to your point, if he was yeah. worried about Mitch or whatever. Well, I, I also think like, I think when you... Like his, he's got a good. By the way, team should true. fear Mitchell Robinson. He is a shot yeah. blocker. So let's yeah. not let's not start backhanding our own guys here. No, no yeah, let's yeah. do it. It's fine. Um, <laughs> as long as it's a slander, an enemy, uh, it's okay. Um, but like, no, I, I also think yeah, his pull up numbers have improved a lot. But I really do think there is something to like, if you key in on him, you can take those away. Like, I thought when Grimes was on him, especially, and he was keyed in on him, he didn't have those openings. Because it still takes him a while to get into his shot, right? Like, that set shot is not, it's not, like, fluid, and he just 
gets right into it. It's a little bit more methodical, a little more, and maybe he can speed it up. I don't know if he has sped it up from college or not. I, I don't really remember. Um, but like, yeah, I'm not, I, I'm not necessarily like saying he's the finished product. I, mean, I don't, he's not the finished product, right? He's a fucking second year player. But like, I just don't see the ceiling. Like, you know, when there are people talking about like, oh my God, I can't believe the Knicks passed on him. There's another point guard we passed on. I'm like, guys, like there's a little bit of a difference between passing on fucking Steph Curry and passing on Tyrese Halliburton. And like, I don't think we need to equate those at all because they're not equatable. It's like equating, you know, fucking Pluto and the sun as the same thing. Um, <laughs> you know, it doesn't make any sense. That that reference really came from, from outer space there. Yes, from out of nowhere. Um, but, uh, I don't know if there's anything else, uh, you guys wanted to talk about before we got out of here. Um, but I think we covered it all. So, Ariel, thank you so much for coming on. Uh, let the people know where they can find you and plug anything that you'd like to uh, plug, anything you're working on. I'm sure you're working on something for tomorrow morning. Yeah, I'll probably get a thread up for the morning. Um, just follow me on Twitter at APacheco, MBA. Um, I appreciate you guys having me on. I always love coming on here. Yeah, man. Uh, always, always great to have you on. Always good to have somebody who's calm and not fucking insane. Like this, uh, who talks about basketball without being a huge jackass. It's pretty great. Uh, thanks a lot for coming on, though. Appreciate it again, and uh, we will have you on soon. Stacy, is there anything that you would like to plug before we get out of here? <clears throat> no, nothing to plug. Um, yeah, Ariel. Thanks for coming on. Uh, this is, yeah, like I said, first time I think we did a pod together. So, uh, so officially good to do that. And, um, and yeah, uh, that's, uh, that's pretty much all I got. Awesome. Uh, I have nothing to plug. So I'm just going to uh, plug all of the work over at the Strickland uh, podcast articles. I don't think we do anything else. But if we do anything else, Oh, videos, yes. Present us some videos. So check those out. Those are fun, too. Um, but yeah, that's all we got for today. I uh, hope everybody has a great week. And I will see everybody You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.